Hello and welcome to Across the States, the premier state and local policy podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Hamberlin with the American City County Exchange. And this is Smart Cities, episode two. I'm joined today by our communications and technology task force director, Jonathan Hanschild. Jonathan, it's great to see you again. Good to be back. Absolutely. So, Jonathan, we're here to talk about what? Broadband and 5G? Yeah, that really is because that's the foundation. That's what you kind of need to have a smart city is a, a good connectivity with some sort of internet connection. So it sounds like you're you know, alluding to talking about closing the digital divide. So what barriers right now are preventing cities from closing the digital divide? Yeah, that's a really good question. Let's take a little bit of a step back and define the digital divide. So a lot of times people will hear about rural broadband. And what they mean is a lot of rural houses, individuals don't have access. But that lack of access and that lack of quality access also exists in urban settings. So if you can figure out how to solve the rural broadband divide, you can figure out how to close the urban divide. And some of this is looking at barriers. Some of the barriers to deployment are the same in urban settings that you would find in rural settings. Some of that's cost of deployment. Some of it is the actual government getting in the way rather than allowing the private sector simply to lead. And when we're looking at the government getting in the way, and so, but there are also differences on the deployment side. What, what may in the urban setting compared to the rural area? But for example, urban and rural may run into governments that just don't know how to handle the applications. They just don't have the technical expertise needed to figure out if you can hang a wire here or there, or if you can dig a conduit here or there. So what do you suggest for, uh, you know, those governments or those government officials that they, you know, aren't aware of, you know, how to close the digital divide or, you know, how to get past those barriers? What do you kind of suggest to them? I, I really think that's where the state can step in. And rather than barring or legislating away, offer some sort of resource. If truly the barrier is a lack of technical expertise, I think the state can come in and either offer some sort of service or some sort of list, cooperative list of people that are experts, as well as assistance, because you're not just looking at, you know, this wire or that wire. You're looking at safety. There's a lot of inspections that have to be done. So you have that. But you also have other barriers, like when the municipalities may not know what to do, or they may not have the expertise, they may drag their feet. And so the simple solution there is shot clocks. Again, state, is, state coming in as a resource, but also shot clocks. There's also policies like dig once and one touch make ready. What is a shot clock? A shot clock says that a municipality has X many days to review or approve an application before it's just deemed to be approved. So a lot of what I see for small cells, so your 5G stuff, is they have 10 days to do the initial review, which just means does it check the boxes? Does it provide all the relevant information? Not necessarily to review. And they send back a correspondence to the provider that says, okay, we've received it. It meets the requirements for review, or we're rejecting it offhand because it fails to meet these requirements. And then they may have 30, 60, 90 days to actually do the substantive review. D depends completely on the state. But that's what a shot clock is. So let's just say it's a 30-day review. At the end of the 30-day review, if, if the municipality hasn't taken an action, 
that provider, the deployment application is deemed approved. That's your shot clock. Uh, dig once and one touch make ready. They may sound self-explanatory, but a dig once is when a municipality is digging up a street. They have a construction project. They're also going to lay something called conduit, which is either the pipe for wires or some municipalities will take the extra step of actually laying the wires in those pipes and just leasing them out to providers when the time comes. Okay. For cost, not, not for revenue, but for cost. And then one touch make ready is just a list of approved contractors that can go to a pole or a set of poles and move everyone's wires on those poles to make ready for a, a entrant. Now let's, those are kind of the broad. Those are the ones that rural and urban, of course, run into. Urban, you have a few more issues, and they may be government. They may not be government. Uh, one of the things with government, one of the most common, is a government viewing a service provider as a source of revenue rather than as a someone that's going to provide a valuable resource to their constituents. This tends to be a problem in the larger cities the New York's, Chicago's, San Jose's, where they'll look at, I'll just, I'll pick on one, Verizon, and say, well, you have a lot of money. We can charge you $6,000 per pole, per antenna that you want to put up, and you need 100 antennas across this, or 1,000 antennas across the city. Well, when Verizon comes in and they do that, and oh, by the way, this is this $6,000 is an annual fee. It's not a one-time fee, it's an annual fee. That you know, if you have a thousand poles, six thousand dollars, my quick and dirty math, six million <laughs> a, a year. Well, that's six million a year. They don't have to deploy somewhere else. Yeah, that definitely sounds like an incentive for you know Verizon to not want to work with the government. Yeah, but they tend to place it like when you're in San Jose, San Francisco, Chicago, New York, they have to because the coverage is so. They have so many people in that area. It's so densely populated yeah. uh, that it seems to make sense. But ultimately, it takes resources away. You know, if you're if you're paying six million dollars in San Jose, you might not have the money to deploy to the uh, the exurbs, the, the the rural areas around Bakersfield or Fresno. Yeah, okay, something like that. It takes money away. Another problem that you can run into, and this is a, a good example in New York, is you have a lot of the infrastructure in place, but for whatever reason, the owner of a building won't let a company do that, that 30, 40 foot connection from the street to the building and light up the building. Some of it may be zoning. Some of it, they may be restricted from zoning. Uh, others, uh, they just may be incentivized by the, the government to not provide service to that building. Well, let me ask you something, uh, Jonathan. So how, what is the best way for these broadband providers to, you know, kind of collaborate with the government and make sure that it works for, you know, great for them and great for the citizens as well? Like, what is, what is the ideal relationship that, you know, at the end of the day shows that broadband and the digital divide is closing? What does that look like? I think that's a cooperative relationship. I, I think broadband providers do a good job of trying to explain the benefit. But I think a lot of local leaders need to understand that, when their people are connected to the internet. First of all, that's, again, the backbone of a smart city. That is what's going to be needed for a smart city. But when they're connected, that means the people who may not otherwise have a quality education can 
have access to educational tools. Uh, who knows, online cyber schools, uh, but greater educational. Uh, for ones that may have trouble getting healthcare, that opens up telehealth. And during, of course, the pandemic, those that need to work can work remotely. So it opens up a whole new level of freedom and a whole new level of independence. And of course, you know, since we're talking about smart cities, you want to lay the foundation for a smart city. If you want to figure out how to reduce pollution by making traffic patterns more efficient, well, you're going to need the sensors, which are going to rely on the connectivity. I have a very important question I want to save for the very end. (laughs) You know what the question is, but I'm going to ask you the last (laughs) one. So, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, broadband and 5G, and I keep going back to infrastructure. What, like, what does that broadband infrastructure look like? Can cities afford it and can they adopt it? Well, the easiest answer is can cities afford it? Definitely, because it's almost no cost to them. The great thing about the American communications infrastructure, this is telephone, this is internet. I can't remember the exact percentage, but it's in excess of 90% is borne by the private sector. It's Verizon paying to build out Verizon's network. It's T-Mobile paying to build out T-Mobile's network. It's AT&T paying to build out AT&T's network. It's Comcast paying to build out Comcast's network. Now, if you're looking at closing the digital divide, so maybe you have a a city, maybe you have a, a municipality that's, lack of a better term, out in the middle of nowhere. So it, it's both an urban setting and a rural setting at the same time. Well, you may need some public-private partnerships. You may need to, a government may need to partner with, I would say, more than one provider, but more than one provider to build out the network into the city. But there are a number of different options available. So for the most part, the cost should be almost non-existent. Other, again, other than maybe the, the permits for deployment and, and assessing the safety aspect, inspectors, things like that, the one-touch make-ready. But when you look at it, a lot of state laws permit the municipalities to charge fees to recover those costs. So again, ultimately, it's a minimal, if no cost, to the cities. And yes, it is essential. (laughs) Broadband is simply essential for everyday life now. But what are the potential negatives? Because some parts of the internet say that 5G can give me cancer. (laughs) I've seen those. (laughs) Those have largely been debunked. Yes, sir. And that's been debunked by the FDA. It's been debunked by the FCC. And there are a number of trade associations out there that have debunked that. Actually, Alec has policy on that. I can't exactly remember what it's called right now. But we do have policy on that where we kind of dispel some of those myths. We'll make sure to include that in the show notes. Now, you know, the one question that, you know, I wanted to ask earlier that you kind of teed up and I'm saving for now, can a city be smart without broadband? Simple answer, no. You, you cannot be smart without broadband. And again, we have to ask from the prior episode, what's a smart city? It's a city that is connected. So if you don't have broadband, you can't be connected. But it's connected for the purpose of providing valuable services, of making the interaction with the public more efficient, of doing its job more efficiently, and also doing things like helping reduce energy consumption, helping reduce pollution, you know, by, again, making traffic patterns more efficient, by helping people find parking faster, by monitoring water supplies, and, of course, by allowing residents to 
file complaints, uh, you know, about potholes <laughs> and, and actually be able to track when those are filled. So it basically smart cities help make government more efficient and more responsive to the needs of the community. And to have that, you need broadband. Well, you heard it here first. To become a smart city, you need a lot of bricks. And that first brick is broadband. Jonathan Hanschild, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. If you are interested in your ideas being featured on Across the States, email us at acrossthestates at alec.org. Please rate us on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on to help us grab more listeners like you. Thanks for listening. You'll hear us next time. Thank you for listening to Across the States, the leading state-focused policy podcast presented by the American Legislative Exchange Council, the premier free market organization of and for legislators. To learn more about our work or to make a tax-deductible donation, visit alec.org. Tell us what you think on Facebook and Twitter at Alec States. The views and opinions expressed on Across the States are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the American Legislative Exchange Council.